trying to think if there's anything else. Well, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. We'll, we'll get started this morning. Hopefully it's a good class today. And uh, Let's pray. Uh, I do know uh, Nicole, I think, wanted prayer too, so we'll pray for her. Lord, we, we do come to You in prayer today. We thank You, Lord, that You hear and You answer prayer, Father, and You... Uh, desire to speak to us. We, you've given us Your Word. You've given us Your Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and uh, Father, we've gathered here this morning. We've uh, we woke up. We've eaten. We've got dressed, and we're here, Lord. So we're just uh, want to hear from You this morning. We uh, pray for this time in Your Word that uh, You can illuminate things that maybe we we didn't know, and help us to see how to apply them to our lives. And, and Father, we want to intercede on behalf of uh, uh, Wendy's family that. Uh, Robert, is, uh, he mourns the loss of his wife, and Tristan, the loss of his mother. So we pray for the funeral, Lord, uh, tomorrow night that uh, there'll be some healing take place, and just that uh, people will be comforted at this time of their sorrow. And uh, Lord, uh, I know Pat, uh, they mourn the loss of their cousin, uh, Rocky, I believe was his name. And so, Lord, we pray for that family. They can... Uh, be comforted and just kind of pick up the pieces and so Lord be with Pat as he is just a a good representative of you and as he's caring for his mother and the family after their loss and we do lift up this young man named Daryl that he can come out and meet with us at our recovery group and Lord pray for Nicole as she's not with us this morning we pray Lord that Give her just some direction in her life and help her to uh, make any changes she needs to change. We uh, pray for Nicole uh, Dollard this morning. And uh, just be with Jim and Sherry as they're away. Pray you'll bring them back to us safely. And uh, So speak to us this morning from Job 38, Lord. We dedicate this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Oh, yeah. I think Heather told me that. So, uh, yes, yeah, Suzanne, sorry to drop that on you like that. I, I should have called you personally. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Heather had to work this morning, but uh, she's with us in spirit. So uh, let's be looking at Job 38, and uh, we've we've studied Job for almost a year now. I think we started August of last year. And so this is uh, week number 39 of studying this. Actually, it may be week 40. That may be... No, I think that's right. I try to keep my handouts updated. So yeah, if you don't have a handout, yeah, thank you, Amita. <clears throat> so uh, today is the day where God speaks to Job. And this is the time uh, he has waited for. If you look back in your uh, in the book of Job, I think it's chapter 13, is where Job asked to speak with the Lord. I think there was a couple different places. He's like, you know, Lord, I wish you would hear me and speak to me. And <clears throat> let's see here. I know in Job 13 and verse 22, 
uh, Job is talking, he says, Then call thou and I will answer, or let me speak and, and answer thou me. So he's asking God to speak to him. And, and there's a few places in Job like that where he's like, you know, oh, oh, if God would just hear me or speak to me. Well, he does speak to him today. And I thought it would be good just to kind of review just a little bit. Because uh, I, I know uh, Jaime and his family haven't uh, been with us. So, uh, Job, in, uh, in Job 1, <laughs> the Bible says that Job was an upright man. He was... Uh, uh, a man that feared God and he has chewed evil. And so Job was a good man. And so uh, the devil, uh, God actually asked the devil, have you considered my servant Job? So he's also called a servant there. And uh, so Job says, well, or God, uh, the, the devil tells God, Job only serves you because you've put a hedge of protection about him. If you remove your hand from Job, he'll curse you. And so God allows the devil to take away all that Job has, even his children. And Job makes this amazing comment that, uh, Naked came I from my mother's womb, naked shall I go uh, uh, when I die. And then he says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. So, it's one thing to say, you know, God gives and God takes away, but He also adds a blessing. God is blessed. And, uh, and so, one thing I've been considering, because, uh, twice in Job 1 and Job 2, it says that the devil, uh, came with the sons of God to present themselves before the Lord. And I can't I can't prove this yet, but I, I wonder if if that happens about every year. So there there could be a year gap between chapter one and chapter two. We we don't know some of the time frame, but in chapter two the devil came to present himself before the Lord, and the sons of God were with him there, and uh, and uh, God again kind of provokes the devil and says, "Have you, have you considered Job?" And that's when uh, the devil says, well, you know, hell away his health. And so he was smitten with boils from the top of his head to the sole of his foot. And so now he's lost everything. He's in poor health. And he still does not curse God. And uh, rather, so that that's, that's kind of uh, when his three friends come to him at the end of chapter 2. And so Eliphaz and uh, Bildad and Zophar, his three friends, the rest of the book until now has been their dialogue with Job. And they all have kind of the same assumption <coughs> is that Job has some unconfessed sin in his life. And so they're, they they talk a lot about God. But, uh, Hans, yeah, can you grab me a water? Is that what you were? Thank you. These are red, white, and blue. Um, <clears throat> so that is so. Each of their friends have had three rounds of dialogue with Job. I think, except for Zophar, he only had two. And then uh, the last five chapters have been uh, a fourth friend named Elihu, and he is uh, represented. Uh, he has said he is speaking on God's behalf and. So the last five chapters have been Elihu, 
And now uh, God is going to speak. And so this is just kind of an amazing uh, chapter. And so I'm going to... There's 41 verses here. And we're only going to talk about the first seven today. But uh, does anybody have any comment about what we've said so far here today? Jaime, I don't know how... I assume you guys are in church down there. Is this story familiar with you and your family? Yeah, yeah good. Okay. <clears throat> well, today... Uh, so God speaks out of the whirlwind here today. And uh, I wanted us to look... Uh, Job 38.1, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said... And I, we've talked a lot about a, a whirlwind in the last few weeks, it seems like. But let's all turn to Second Kings. There's a place here <clears throat> where uh, Elijah the prophet is taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. And uh, there's certain times in the Bible where you just love to have been there, and this is one of them to me. This is like wow. So Second Kings 11, I think it is. Uh, no, 2:11. I'm sorry, Second Kings chapter two. <clears throat> and. Kind of the deal here is Elijah has kind of a, a helper, kind of a disciple of his named Elisha. And Elijah tells Elisha that if he sees, if Elisha sees Elijah go up to heaven in the whirlwind, then he'll get a double portion of Elijah's spirit. It's really a cool story here. And that's what it says in verse 10. So, 2 Kings 2.10. And, uh, Emma, would you read uh, verse 10 and 11 for us? Yeah, 2 Kings 2.10. Yeah. And and verse 12 starts that Elisha saw it. So Elisha did see it. And at the end of verse 9, uh, at the end of verse 9, it says, And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. <clears throat> and so Elijah says, If you see me taken up to heaven, and uh, sure enough, Elisha sees... And this is something cool that I did one time. Uh, if you go through the Bible, just as you read, if you read the miracles that Elijah did, he did about 12 miracles, and Elisha did about 24 miracles. So, about a double portion of Elijah's spirit. It's really, it's really cool. Uh, it may be more like nine and eighteen. I kind of forget. There's Elijah is accredited with like nine miracles, and Elisha like 18 miracles. So. Anyway, a double portion, but in that verse, 
11 that Emmett read, it talks about a chariot of fire and horses of fire. And they, they like divided Elisha from Elijah. And evidently they scooped up Elijah in a whirlwind and, and went into heaven. That, that's just amazing, isn't it? So Elijah is one of uh, only two men in the Old Testament that did not die a physical death. Uh, he was taken up alive right into heaven. Who's the other one? Enoch. Enoch. Good answer. So Enoch was the other one. And uh, we, we think uh, Enoch is kind of a, a type of the rapture of the church. He was the seventh from Adam. And Elijah, we believe, will be one of the two witnesses that come back to earth in, in the tribulation period. So he's one of the two. So Elijah may have to come back and... Uh, mm-hmm. He's able to call down fire. Yeah. So anyway, I wanted you to see that thing about the whirlwind there that... I mean, I, I, I don't know what that'd be like to see chariots of fire and this whirlwind. I mean, it'd be horrifying, wouldn't it, to, to be standing there and, and see this. But, uh, anyway, this is a literal story. It's a historical. It, it happened and the Bible records it for us. And, uh, there was a reason why God did that. <clears throat> and some people think that that's the same type of thing like, uh, that Ezekiel saw. Remember, he saw he saw a fire. I think even he saw a whirlwind in Ezekiel 1. Uh, at least it was a cloud. And so anyway, all these, all these stories have some commonality. Even like in the Egyptian tombs, they, they have chariots of fire on their walls and stuff. Really? Really I interesting. Come out of like out of wow. I wonder if it's for this story here. Huh. Very, very interesting. So, all right, so now let's go back to, to Job 38. And so I wanted you to see that a little bit about the, uh, the whirlwind. And so God is now talking out of the whirlwind to Job. And, uh, Pam, would you read just verses 2 and 3 for us? Yeah. And so, it's not at all what we would do. I mean, if Job was really lost all this and he's got all these health issues, it seems like you would come to this person and say, how are you feeling, Job? And, you know, what can I do? Can I get you something to eat or drink? Or, you know, let me get you some medicine? Or, But no, God, uh, He tells him that he lacks some knowledge that you're, you're darkening counsel without knowledge and um, so one, one thing I read made you think you know he could have been maybe talking to Elihu there in verse 2 who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge but it does say in verse 1 that he's talking to Job so we're going to assume he's telling Job that he lacks some knowledge but he, he also says to gird up your loins and 
you know, for all the men in here, we, we can't relate to this, but if, you know, even in Scotland, maybe where they wear the Celts and stuff, uh, at least in the Bible times, men would have robes on, and so they would, if they were doing any type of work or if they went to battle, they would have to kind of pull their robe up and tie them off around their legs so they could so they could go to war. So that when it says gird up your loins, it's like, you know, listen up, man up, it's time to, you know, be a man and we're going to go to war here is kind of what it's talking about. And I gave you a couple verses there in the New Testament. First Peter, we don't need to look at all these, but he says that uh, to gird up the loins of your mind. And so I think there's some instruction here for all of us today. When God is telling Job to gird up his loins, uh, all of us need to think about uh, you know, being sober-minded, being, clear, being serious in our walk with the Lord. And uh, listen up here. God's got some things to say. And that's what the Ephesians talks about, to gird our loins with truth. The, uh, I think, I think in the VBS it was the belt of truth. Does that sound right? So that's the uh, armor of God there. So anyway, (coughs) my little, my blank I put for you on your handout, uh, this was kind of a a quote that I heard, heard him say, somebody say, I was listening to a sermon about this. It says, "We, we may have many questions for God, but when we see Him, none will matter. And uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like we go to the hospital, and uh, you know maybe we've got a cut that needs a band aid, but they bring in people on a stretcher that's nearly to die. You know, it, it seems like other things kind of supersede our problems and. And I, and I think God is getting ready to show Job kind of a big picture thing. Like, yeah, Job, you're in this little part of the world and you've got this, this amount of problems, but I'm going to talk to you about the foundations of the earth and when I stretched out the heavens and when, when all these, so his little problems are somewhat insignificant in the big scope of things. And I think that's probably good for all of us to think about. And so that's what he says in verse 4, uh, Belinda. Uh, if you read verse 4 for us. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. Yeah. Uh, and so this foundations, uh, plural, of the earth, and those are... Uh, you know, it says earlier in Job that he he hanged the earth on nothing. I think I I may have put that in your handout. Um, That's because a lot of people grew up thinking that the earth sat on the back of a turtle or, uh-huh. or something huge. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Up until the 1500s or something. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, Disney? 
Oh, that's funny. Find out their world is on the back of the Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, hold your place here and look at Proverbs 8 for just a minute. Uh, Proverbs 8. Uh, I guess it's a couple books to the right. I was going the wrong way. So, Proverbs 8. And this is probably my favorite chapter of the Bible. Proverbs 8. And in verse 22, it's a reference to wisdom here. It says, "...the Lord possessed me in the beginning of His way, before His works of old." I was set up from the fount, from everlasting, from the beginning or ever the earth was, when there was no depths, I was brought forth, when there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills was, I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the highest, while he had not yet made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the earth or the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the foundations of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, when I then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable, habitable part of the earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. And so there's a reference to wisdom being with the Lord, but uh, he goes on to ask Job, you know, if if you were there, where were you? Uh, verses 5 and 6 uh, back in Job 38 Kevin would you read those who hath laid the measures thereof that thou knowest who hath stretched the line upon it whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened who hath laid the cornerstone thereof yeah so there's uh and this is just wonderful information about the earth. And one thing I read, I gave you on your handout there, the earth's diameter is almost 8,000 miles. The circumference is almost 25,000 miles at the equator. So only in recent history could we measure these things. And so God is asking Job about where he was when he put, when God put, you know, the measuring tape and how far it should be from the sun and how far the moon would be and the rotation and, and all these intricacies of planet Earth. And so these are uh, some really deep questions about creation. And, you know, evidently there's some foundations. You know, in uh, in Proverbs 9, we didn't read it, but uh, it talks about wisdom hath... Uh, uh, made her house and hewn out her seven pillars. So I wonder if there's seven pillars or maybe that's a heavenly thing that it's discussing or if it's, uh, if the earth has some type of foundation that we, we just don't see, uh, inside planet earth. I mean, we, 
if it's almost 8,000 miles between us and China going through the earth, you know, there's many things in that 8,000 miles that we're unaware of. I think we've only been able to drill down, you know, two or six miles, something like that. Not, not hundreds of miles, but I think maybe the deepest hole that man has dug is like six miles deep, something like that. But anyway, these are uh, all amazing questions. And then uh, I think I think I pulled up there, and I gave you in your teaching point there that really uh, Jesus is the best answer. And uh, to in fact, uh, Suzanne, would you read those two verses there in? On the handout from Colossians. For by him were all things created that all that are in heaven and that on earth are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they are thrones, thrones or domains or principalities, are created by him and for him. And he is there before all things, and by him all things are created consistent. And and that last little phrase there that Suzanne read you know, it's one thing for God to create it all, but also that by Him all things consist. Like He's He's like what holds it all together, isn't He? And you know, we it, it's one thing to make something, to create all these things, but just the ecosystem and uh, you know, we we showed kind of the water cycle in our, our last class. We had a video of how water vaporizes and so just for the earth to maintain itself for these uh, several thousand years now is uh, pretty amazing so Christ uh, was there at creation and they were created by him uh, visible things and invisible things and there's thrones and dominions and principalities and powers and uh, he, he made these things and he was before all things. He was there with God uh, creating these things by their wisdom and by their word. And uh, any, any other thoughts about this first section here? So, uh, as advertised, I want to talk about this next section here in verse 7. And uh, Jaime, do you, do you mind reading uh, 38.7? Yeah. So this this is where I wanted to get to today because uh there's five times in our Bible in the Old Testament this little phrase uh sons of God. And I gave you the references there so there was uh in Job 1 and uh, I think it was two six or what was it? Uh, two one. Job's fallen. One six two one. Yeah, one six and two one. Yeah, and uh, thirty eight seven. What would the fallen be considered? Uh, so then the other two times uh, we're getting there, Kevin. Uh, Genesis six, 
1 through 4 are the other two times. So, five times in the Old Testament, this little phrase, sons of God, is mentioned. <clears throat> and I gave you a, a little, on the, on, uh, at the bottom of your front page of your handout, a chart down at the bottom. <clears throat> and, uh, l- let's all look at the, the Luke, the Luke reference, because I want you to see that this is kind of a, I had never seen this until uh, I was pretty newly saved and I was going to the uh, Kansas City Baptist Temple and I don't know if I just picked this up in my reading or if somebody taught me this. But look at Luke chapter 3. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ through His mother Mary and it traces her genealogy all the way from uh, Christ backwards all the way to Adam. <clears throat> and uh, if you were here, if you were here Friday night, I may mention, uh, I know Pam, you were here, and uh, Angie, you were here. Look at uh, Luke 3. <clears throat> and in verse 23, is where it says, Jesus and Jesus Himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli, and that Heli is actually Joseph's father-in-law. Mary's dad uh, is Heli. And uh, Jesus, it says He was about 30 years of age. This was when He was baptized. So Jesus was baptized when he was about 30 years old. That's what, uh, in verse 21, uh, the people were baptized. It came to pass that Jesus also being baptized. So he was about 30 years old. This is when he began his earthly ministry. And then all the way down to verse 31, at the end of verse 31, it says, "...which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David." And we all know that uh, King David's son was Solomon, but he also had a son named Nathan. And I uh, speculated that he named this son after the prophet Nathan, which uh, you know told him of his sin with Bathsheba. So I wanted to bring that out. But anyway, it goes it goes through all these genealogy, and then in verse thirty-eight, the Bible says in three thirty-eight of Luke, which was the son of Enos which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. And so on your handout, uh, Adam was called the son of God. In other words, he didn't have earthly parents, did he? He was God's son. And uh, he is compared to Jesus Christ in some ways. But anyway, I wanted to point that out. So on your handout... On your on your left hand column, you've got Adam, and he's called uh, a son of God. And you also have Israel, and in Exodus chapter four, Israel is called God's son, and so that's pretty cool. And then uh, what we're saying here in in uh, Job in Job. You know, when these sons of God are with Satan, and when these sons of God are mentioned in 
in uh, chapter 38 that uh, Jaime read, uh, they're angelic beings. So we're saying that angels are sons of God because uh, God created them. They, they didn't have uh, earthly parents and they were there uh, when, when creation was happening, right? So they're, they're obviously spiritual beings and we believe the Bible's consistent. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to compare what is being said in Job about these sons of God uh, to, to angels. And of course we know Jesus is called the Son of God. And then I, I left you a blank at the bottom left. And this is, this is where the application comes in today. Is that Christians are called sons of God, aren't they? And that, that's what it says in John 1. Uh, as many as received Him, the same gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. And so that's a memory verse. So that, that's, uh, when, when we get saved, we become little, we become Christians, don't we? We, we, uh, we, yeah, we become His children by faith. And, uh, I gave you some more references. So there's several times in the New Testament, but only five times in the Old Testament. And so now look on the back side of your paper. And the thing that, uh, Jaime read that I wanted us to all to see is that in, uh, at during creation, in Job 38 there, it says all the sons of God were there. And if you're still in Job 38, look at the verse again. And we know... Oh shoot, I'm not, I'm not recording this. We forgot. I'm going to turn on the last... Uh, record the last little bit. There it is. <laughs> okay, so this is Job 38. And we're going to record the last uh, 20 minutes here. <clears throat> and in verse 7 of Job 38, When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Do you remember when we, we taught about Hebrew poetry? We said that, you know, like in America... We might have our poetry rhyme like you know roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you. So we have kind of a rhyme, but Hebrew poetry is parallel. They compare thoughts uh, or ideas, and so it says, uh, "When the morning stars sang together," and then the word "and." It's kind of a, a completive parallelism. So, and all the sons of God uh, shouted for joy. It's believed that these these morning stars are, in fact, the sons of God. And uh, if if you remember from Revelation, we we won't go there, uh, but I put the reference in Revelation one twenty. It talks about. Uh, the stars being called angels. Does anybody remember that? Uh, <clears throat> uh, 
Kevin, why don't you just go read that for us? Uh, Revelation 120. Just, uh, I'm not, it's not coming up in my mind right now. So the rest of us can go to Genesis 6 if we want to. I'm going to have Kevin read the Revelation 120 where it compares stars to angels. The mystery of the seven stars, in which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks in which thou sawest are the seven churches. So the seven stars are angels, it says. Yeah. So it... So even though there is symbolic language, uh, oftentimes the Bible defines itself. And so, uh, <clears throat> so now, now what we're going to learn about from Genesis 6, in, uh, right before the flood of Noah, is, uh, this thing about the sons of, da- the sons of God and the daughters of men. And if you've been through D2, and Pam and Suzanne, I know you guys went through this uh, recently, so feel free to comment. And I don't know how long Jason spent on this, but um, uh, I want to give this to you from kind of a Bible-believing perspective. And so in Genesis 6, <clears throat> I've got it on your handout, or if you've got it in your Bible, uh Angie, would you just read the first four verses for us? Genesis 6, 1-4. Yeah. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of, of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. They, there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were old men of renown. So, so twice in there, and on your handout, I I underlined it. The two times that the word, the little phrase, the sons of God, are mentioned in this passage. So, uh, we know that Satan tried to corrupt. Uh, Adam and Eve in the garden <clears throat> and caused them to sin. And, uh, you know, shortly after that, when they had, uh, Cain and Abel, Cain killed Abel. And so, uh, you know, the devil is obviously trying to, uh, thwart or <clears throat> sidetrack God's plan. And so, in chapter 6 here, this this is uh, ten years, I'm sorry, ten generations uh, after Adam. So Noah was the tenth generation from Adam, and uh, it says that men begin to multiply. You can imagine, you know, uh, Pam, you guys have you have like four children, don't you? You and Emmett, three. you have three children, and but you got how many? And twelve grades. So, so their families beginning that to multiply, aren't they? And so, the from these two people, you know, there's thirty some people, right, in their family. So, 
you can imagine ten generations in, with people living long lives, uh, the earth... And so at that time, these sons of God... And so, uh, so we believe these are angelic beings. They are men only. They're sons of God. They're not daughters of God. They're just sons. But they saw the daughters of men... And they were fair, and they took of them wives of all which they chose. So these sons of God chose daughters of men, and they had children with them. They had intimacy. There was sexual relationship with, between angels and human flesh. And uh, it says that in, in verse 3, The Lord says, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. And uh, yet his days shall be in 120. So there was 120 years from this time until God flooded the earth. And then it says in verse 4 that there were giants in the earth in those days. And after that also when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare them children, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And so I gave you a blank there. These giants, uh, <clears throat> that word giants in verse, where's that word at? Is it in verse 4 or 2? 4? <clears throat> yeah. There's a, and you, you may have heard of this word, and I'm probably not going to say it right. N-E-P-H-I-L-I-M, I believe. Uh, Nephilim. Have, have, you, have anybody ever heard of that word? Nephilim? So that, that's the Hebrew word for giants. And I gave you the definition. It just means fallen ones. So these sons of God that had children with the daughters of men, their children... Uh, became giants and they were mighty men of renown and some believe this is kind of where some of our Greek mythology comes from uh, there's still things uh, you know kind of some unexplained things even on planet earth that uh, that people look to these as the gods and these men of renown and so uh, I wanted to, to hit on that Today, and I want us to give us a uh, some application too. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, and did he give a reference for that? The yeah, yeah. Let's look at that in the Matthew twenty-two thirty. So what Pam just read for us is kind of the common teaching in uh, most Bible colleges, and 
So Matthew 22:30, and you'll find this very interesting. <clears throat> and so Matthew 22:30. In fact, Pam, if you want to read that for us. Right, so that's saying that the angels of God in heaven do not marry or given in marriage, and that is their text verse. <clears throat> but uh, what what you'll find interesting about this is uh, most uh, most all the Bibles is that the angels of God in heaven don't marry or give in marriage, but the fallen angels do. So, so, so that's why it's important whenever Job 38 takes place, all the sons of God were there. So that was before the fall. But after the fall, some of the angels fell and, uh, <clears throat> and, uh, the uh you know you know god god himself uh conceived christ in mary that was a spirit uh, she received child of the holy ghost so there is an example of christ being conceived spiritually you know a spiritual being being created in a physical person so I don't think it's that far-fetched to say what we're saying here. And, and the other thing that I, I guess I would discredit a little bit this godly line of Seth is if, I mean, never before has one gender, I mean, why doesn't it say godly sons and daughters of Seth? It doesn't say that. But if they were godly, why weren't they on the ark? I mean, so they really weren't. They were <laughs> yeah. They were years to yeah. So there, there is a little bit of. Uh, so anyway, those are those are the two teachings, and uh, kind of lay it out there. And I, I want to say a few more things about this uh, because it, there is some relevance to today. And uh, look on your handout there, uh, letter F. It does say uh, in so letter F on your handout. This interpretation explains God's judgment of the angels that sinned in Noah's days, as recorded in Second Peter two four and five. And it says there that God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So there there were some angels that sinned at the days of Noah, and those angels that sinned are held in chains of darkness, and they're reserved to judgment. And then Jude 1.6 also says, it confirms the punishment meted out to those angels. It says, And the angels which kept not their first estate 
but left their own habitation, he hath reserved an everlasting change under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. And then uh, I added this uh, other one from First Peter. He said, while explaining Christ's death and subsequent three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, First Peter three nineteen and twenty undeniably confirms that this certain group of fallen angels or spirits were still locked up in the chains of darkness or prison, and that Jesus preached unto them while his body was in the grave. It says he went and preached unto the spirits in prison which were sometimes disobedient in the days of Noah. <clears throat> so uh, <clears throat> so there's some things from our New Testament that make reference to this event that happened in Genesis. But uh, ho- hopefully it's, you know, hopefully you're looking at this with uh, open eyes or uh, uh, open heart that, uh, at least this is this is my belief on the topic. And uh, is everybody still in Genesis, or can you get there? Go to Genesis one. <clears throat> this is something uh, that yeah. Yeah, thank you. So this was Adam and Eve's commission. Uh, they were to be fruitful, you know, have kids and multiply. That, that's, that's what's happening in Genesis 6. They were multiplying. And then it says replenish. And, uh, I gave you a definition there. I think that's on your handout. And, uh, most of the new Bibles don't have this word either, is replenish the earth and and it just means to fill again, <clears throat> and so, and so, uh, in a you know in a physical way that this, hold on just a second, Kevin, because I want to finish this thought here. So in a, in a very physical way, they would have children, and they have to have grandchildren, and so on. And uh, you know, at some point, there'd be so many people in the Garden of Eden that they would. But uh, they would have to go somewhere else and, and you know be fruitful, multiply, and go someplace else and do the same thing. But so we look at this, <coughs> we look at this as you know evangelism. Uh, it's when we we lead people to Christ and multiply as discipleship, and then replenish has to do with missions. We we do the same thing. Uh, this is where I hope something clicks with somebody. If if Adam and Eve made other sons of God, they would they would fill those ones that fell. They would replace the ones that fell. Is everybody with me? The ones that fell. The yeah, the third that fell. And so uh, that that that's what makes. You believe in in uh, 
if if Adam was the son of God and before he fell, he was to replenish the. Son, I mean, that's partly their mission. There was to replenish sons of God and to make up those that had fallen. What's that? Is there similarity there between the hundred and forty-four thousand the elect that they were talking about? <clears throat> I'm not sure about that one. Uh, Pan, did you did you have a thought? I'm not figuring how you got from one place to the next. Well. <clears throat> Their their mission was to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. And well, well, well. Th- think think about us. Think about us. We we are sons and daughters of Christ, and we are to make other sons and daughters of Christ. Right. That that's why I added in this thing about evangelism, discipleship, and, and mission. There, there's a spiritual aspect to their mission, is is what I'm, and, and and the same is true with us. And so that's that's what I put on your last teaching point is the first Adam was supposed to replenish the fallen sons of God, but he failed, and the last Adam, Jesus, will be successful in replenishing the sons of God that fell. And I gave you a verse there from First uh, Corinthians. So anyway, I know I know I said when I was in Gen- or, uh, Job one and two that we would talk about the sons of God when we got to Job thirty-eight, and so I wanted to do that today. And that that may be a little bit heavy, but uh, it. Th- yeah, you're thinking physical only, and that's true. Uh huh. Right. Right. Go ahead. Keep talking. <laughs> so there wasn't physical children there. No. So it had to be. No, that that's why all the new Bibles just say fill. The new Bibles don't use the word replenish. So. Well, I'm reading King James. I know. I know you are. So that that's that's where th- this is a, a good distinction that you're you're seeing. So did, was that was this verse that we're talking about after the stages fell when God had when Satan decided he wanted to be on the throne? That was like the second day. So if it was after that God went out so Adam had replenished his, the angels already fell. Right. Okay. Right. That is my understanding. So back in back when God was laying the foundation and putting the measuring on, they were all there and they had not fallen. But by the time Adam gets there and he gets commissioned to replenish, they had fallen. And that's, okay. Yeah, he would have been because Satan was in there. Satan was in the snake in the garden. Uh huh. He showed up as a fallen being in Genesis three, so he'd fallen by Genesis three. Right. Yes. He's the last Adam, right. Yes. So Satan's corrupting this seed here. And it's really ironic that Noah doesn't have any daughters. In, in all these genealogies in, uh, in, uh, in Genesis, uh, 5, 
you know, they all had sons and daughters except Noah. He only had sons. And, uh, they got their wife. But anyway, Noah's, Noah's seed was not corrupted. That was my point from that. So anyway, this, this is a lot of wild things. Maybe, uh, too deep for this class. And so sorry if, but, uh, Ah, he is, he's definitely, uh huh. Alright, well let's pull up there. Uh, Emmett, would you